Father, we want to thank you today for what you've done for us in Christ. That we can come before you in boldness because you have called us. We know that you're here with us today as we've gathered in this place to worship. And we're just asking that you would speak deeply into our lives. That we would experience you anew. And that you would be pleased with our worship. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. We are excited to welcome many uh, Houghton College, Houghton Academy students back to town. And I suspect there are others here that uh, you either haven't seen for a while or may be new to you. Take a few moments, introduce yourself as we share a word of greeting with each other. Well, we do want to welcome uh, students back to town. It's exciting to see you, and we are praying that this is a wonderful year of not just learning academically, but growing spiritually. And uh, we are excited uh, for the role that we can play as a congregation. And uh, we want you to, to feel as you're here that this is a part of your family, that this is your church home if you come here to church. And we want to engage with you in our walk with Christ. And uh, anything we can do as a church to help you grow, uh, we want to do that as we work and minister with each other. Let me just... Uh, mention a few things that are in your bulletin. Uh, If you're a parent of a junior or senior high youth, there's a meeting right after this service in the community room, uh, and you'll see some information about that. Tonight, we're having a a community potluck. It's in the community room right behind us here. We want to invite everybody to come, including uh, those of you who are students. We'd love to have you be a part of this gathering as we come together, share some food, uh, some conversation, maybe you meet some new folks, and uh, we hope you'll join us tonight at 5 in the community room, and you see information there about what the church is providing, and for students, we have enough stuff, just come, and uh, others, if you can bring some food with you, that would be helpful. Uh, next Sunday morning, uh, we move to our regular uh, year-round worship, or year, school year worship schedule of services at 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11, so just note that change, and Sunday school starts next week. Uh, for children, youth, and adults, and you'll notice an insert in your bulletin with a uh, listing of the adult Sunday school classes, and also in the back of that, some women's Bible studies that will be starting up soon as well. Uh, the adult choir, which sings in the 11 o'clock service, will begin rehearsals this week, and even if you attend this service, uh, love to have you be a part of the choir. There are some folks who do that and uh, come to this service and sing in the choir and then go home. Now, I can't imagine why they wouldn't stay and hear the sermon again, but that's, a, they can, that's all right. Now, I do understand that. But uh, if you want to, you love singing in a choir, love to have you be a part of that. Rehearsal start this week on uh, Tuesday evening. There's also ministry opportunities for you, ways of using your gifts and uh, caring for our children on Wednesday nights. And you see information about that as we're putting together our Wednesday night children's program. There are always things to pray about. We especially, again today, want to pray for the church in Egypt and the people of Egypt. Um, we, we need to be praying for God to do something miraculous there. 
and uh, the same thing in, uh, in Syria and there are lots of places of the world where we are grieved and burdened by what we see happening to many, many innocent people. And so we want to pray for our brothers and sisters and, and just the people of these nations that God would work miraculously in them as well as the concerns and the burdens locally among us here. We have the opportunity to give back to God from the myriad of ways in which he's blessed us. The ushers are going to uh, collect the tithes and offerings. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church, which meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building.
to come together in prayer. If you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you come and offer your prayers to God, please join me. Eternal God, you are the creator of all, the ruler of all, the sustainer of all. You are holy and pure. You are right and just. You are good and loving. And we gather in this place today to worship you. Father, despite all of your blessings... Most of us come today in one way or another with hearts that are burdened. We pray that you will heal all who are suffering, comfort all who are grieving, cheer hearts that are discouraged and sad. In all of our distress and pain and our sorrow and struggle, help us to find in you and in one another strength and healing. And grace. We pray, Father, for those who are in transition. Transition can be exciting and it can be frightening at the same time. We pray that you will pour out your blessings on all who are in a new place in life. May they be filled with the sense of your peace and bring joy out of new relationships, as in your grace, you provide all that we need. Father, as we as a nation commemorate 50 years since the March on Washington and Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, we are sadly aware that racism still plagues our nation. Inequality in the job market, hatreds and violence on our city streets, forbidden opportunities. We pray that you will forgive us. Help us to see the pain of racism. Help us to be an agent or healing of the scars and the pain. And give us courage to be voices for change and a presence for hope. Because you have created all of us equal and your love has no boundaries. Father, we pray for the world and the struggles that we see in our world. And we think especially of Egypt and Syria, Iraq, where every day there are, there's more and more violence. So many innocent people 
losing their lives and grieving death and loss. We pray for your peace. We pray for your church in these places to know the strength of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that our brothers and sisters would know our support and our love and give us grace to join with them in being the presence of Christ. As we embark on another academic year, we pray for grace upon all whose calling is to teach and all who come to learn, all who lead, and everyone whose task is to provide support upon all of us. We ask that you will give us grace for the task before us. Help, Lord, more to happen this year than we might have imagined. Release your power on our needy, barren lives. Ground us firmly in you and in your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to the touch of your hand upon each of us. We pray that you will light a fire in this place, in our lives, in this church, that we will burn with passion and love and holiness that people here and throughout the world might come to know you. Father, in these times, in all of these times, we trust you. Help us to know your grace that we might walk in your ways as we walk together. We pray this through Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which... We now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our scripture reading is from Psalm 136, and uh, we're going to read this uh, different in a different way than we typically do. Uh, we're going to read it uh, responsively, and I'm going to add, we are going to, it's going to be up on the screen, and we are going to read uh, the, the first phrases, and the worship team will respond with uh, the response of his love endures forever. After each one of our statements, there will be a brief pause, just to ponder what we've just said. And then um, at the very end, all of us together will say the last phrase. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. Forever. 
to him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth on the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings, And killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate. And freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever.
Father, your love is amazing. We pray that you would give us a deeper understanding of you in our lives. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. You can feel gratitude and not be a follower of God. But I find it really hard to believe that you could be a follower of God and not be a grateful person. There is something about gratitude that's at the heart of being a follower of God. Something about gratitude that that is foundational to, to being a person who desires God and desires life with God and and what we call holy living. 
Because gratitude at its, at its core is recognizing that there are things that God can do that we can't do. There are things that God has done that we couldn't do. And we are grateful. There is in, in, a, in gratitude a sense of humility. That says, God, you're great and I'm not. God, you can do things that I can't. And I want to surrender myself to you in gratitude. Gratitude is, is foundational to the Christian life. We struggle with gratitude because it, typically it comes in, in two forms. One is we feel grateful because we have avoided problems. We've been blessed. Things have happened in our lives that we didn't deserve. The other part of gratitude typically is that we are, that it's not that we are, that we don't face problems, but that we're rescued from problems. Something has gone awry. We've faced a difficulty and and God has brought us out of it. We, We have been saved from something that was a problem. And I think with the first issue, we tend to forget God because life is fine. Life is going well. We're doing just great. The second one, we have a tendency to accuse God. Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? God, why aren't you helping me? Where are you? And in both instances, gratitude brings us back to God as foundational to our lives, as followers of Jesus. And gra- but gratitude is one of those things that we need to be reminded about. Because we so easily forget. Psalm 136 is one of those places in scripture that I'm convinced God gives to us as a means of reminding his people about what he's done and about who he is. We know very little, if anything, about the background of Psalm 136. It doesn't tell us who wrote it. It doesn't tell, tell us when it was written. It doesn't tell us what occasion it might have been written. It's just here. And in a sense, there's, that's good because it doesn't limit it to one particular time period or one particular person's life. It is a very universal kind of psalm. It seems to be set sometime in the early years of his, early even months of Israel's existence. That's what it references as we go through the psalm. Israel is, is just, has just come out of slavery in Egypt. And, and they are trying to figure out who this God is that has rescued them. This God that Moses speaks to them about. And, and they are they're trying to figure out who he is. And that's important because they need to not just know God, but internalize God in their lives as individuals and as a corporate body. Because only when they internalize God within themselves will they begin to trust God. And only when they trust God will they begin to to experience the peace and the joy and life that God designs for them. And that's why the psalm is so important for us. We need to understand more about who God is, what God has done for us, so that we will internalize him that much more and trust him that much more so that we can experience the fullness of life that he designs for every one of us. And so this psalm begins... Give thanks to the Lord. Gratitude. The first three verses, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. The very last verse, give thanks to the Lord. It is enclosed, beginning and end, give thanks to the Lord. 
Why do we give thanks to the Lord? The psalmist says, because God is the author of all that is good in our lives, in our world. Everything good in this world is because of God. Everything good in our lives is because of God. He begins in the first nine verses and talks about God and creation. All that God has made, that he set things in order. He has brought things into being. And the significance of that is that life is not random. It has purpose and significance. And all that God creates, you and me, we have purpose and significance and value. God's made it all. All these things that we enjoy, all the ways in which the created order blesses us, from from the food that we eat to the wide variety of flowers that inspire us when we see them, and the gifts and the abilities that God puts into our lives and into this world, all of it is from God. But he also then talks in the bulk of the psalm, from verses 10 to just about the end, about what God has done. He doesn't just create, but he has set apart his people, Israel, and he's rescued them. He has rescued them out of Egyptian slavery and set them on the path to inheritance in the land that he's promised. Now, I suspect as we're reading through this, especially the way we read it this morning, we may read some of those phrases and think, yikes. Some of this stuff doesn't seem real appropriate for giving thanks to God that he has murdered Pharaoh and you know, the Pharaoh and his army have perished in the sea and, and God has killed these kings. And, and it sort of, it offends our 21st century sensibilities to read those things and, and, to, and to connect it with his love endures forever. We get a little nervous about that, but it's because we need to understand the context of what is being said. Some people use this as a means of saying, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus of the New Testament. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is God. And you need to understand that the the Pharaoh and his army and these other kings, they are not innocent bystanders. It's not like they're standing, innocent bystanders to an ancient Near Eastern drive-by shooting or something. You know, these are people, they are ruthless oppressors. Pharaoh and his army has, has, has been ruthless with the Israelites for hundreds of years. And, the, and, and king, the other kings that are mentioned here attack Israel. And God is simply putting things right. He is rescuing Israel. He is setting them free to live in safety so that they can then know him. So they have to keep looking over their shoulders all the time. You say, yeah, but, okay, I get that, but should they really write a song about it? Should they really be celebrating that God has done these things to these people? Well, let me try this context. If, if your family was kidnapped and, you, and the, by people who were going to traffic them, and somehow the, the authorities figure out the plot and save them, and in the process have to eliminate those who have who kidnapped them, when they came back to you would, you, would your first thought be to lament the people who have been killed or to celebrate with your family being set free? You're just celebrating something good happening. And this praise and this adoration is not just for some FBI agents or 
It's about the almighty God setting people free. God rescues and God sets us free. And you and I, as we sang in a number of the songs this morning, we have been set free from our bondage. And we celebrate the good that God has done for us. But ultimately, we give thanks because God's love never ends. You get different translations of that phrase that is repeated 26 times in this psalm. God's love never ends. God's love is unending. God's love never quits is the way the message has it. And there's something about that that I like. I like that phrase, God's love never quits. Because we understand love that quits. We have all been people who in some way or another have decided we're going to quit loving someone. We have been quit on by other people. We're too much trouble. We got too much baggage. We're rude. We're insensitive. We're too clingy. We're asking too much. We're not asking enough. We're too sensitive. We're not sensitive enough. We, we have all kinds of reasons to stop loving each other, and we do it. We make decisions and people make decisions about us to stop loving. And the psalmist is trying to help us understand God never does that. God's love never fades. It doesn't get weaker and it can't get stronger because it's perfect. God's love doesn't erode. God's love doesn't corrode. God's love doesn't tail off at the end. God's love isn't shaken. God's love never ends. It is enduring. Now, does that mean that God likes everything we do? Not by any means. Sometimes God's response to us is some form of holding us accountable for our actions. But even when that happens, it's because he loves us. Like a loving parent disciplining their child so they learn and they grow And they know that they're important enough to be loved. That they are loved and cared for. That even discipline is a form of love. That's God. In the most divine and holy sense. And I'll tell you, Israel gives God enough reasons to quit on them. Just like we do. You read this history of, of what happens here with Israel. They come out of Egypt and it, it's hardly, hardly a month goes by and they're whining to Moses. It's too hot. It's, we're thirsty. We're hungry. God, and eventually they come to him and say, we, we were better off in Egypt as slaves to the ruthless oppressors. Wow, how much more offensive to God can you get? And yet God's love doesn't end. It isn't very long after that, they create this golden calf and they bow down and worship it and say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And God disciplines them for that, but his love doesn't end. And throughout their history, they continue to reject God and God's love never ends. As as Pastor Cindy reminded us earlier this summer, through the prophet Hosea, despite everything Israel has done, he says to them, how can I give you up? How can I let you go? And you and I put God in a position where he could easily give up on us, but he doesn't. 
How often do we come to a fork in the road, choose God's way, choose our way, and we choose our way? How often do we make accusations against God and blame God and make selfish decisions toward God? And what is God's response? Love. There may be discipline involved in that love, but always love. His love never ends. And that's why this psalm keeps coming back to this over and over and over again. 26 times, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. In fact, when we were going through that, probably when we got to about verse 10, 11, 12, maybe 15, you were thinking, okay, I get it. We, get, we understand. And it kept going and kept going. Why is that? Because we need to be reminded. Someone said to me this week, they they looked at it as an intentional reminder of something we so easily forget. His love endures forever. His love never ends. His love never quits. And we are continually tempted to believe the lie that it does. We are continually tempted to believe the lie that God's something, anything, could prevent God from loving us. And the psalmist wants us to understand in no uncertain terms that his love endures forever. And when we come to the New Testament, we see here the Apostle John say, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And in Romans, Paul says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, sometimes we think if we are grateful to God, if we we give thanks to God, and that will cause God to love us. We give thanks to God because God already loves us. We're not trying to convince God to do anything. We're simply acknowledging what he's already done. That's why this psalm is recited at Passover. Many of the references here are related to Israel coming out of Egypt that commemorates the time of Passover. It is a time for them to remember what God has done in making them a nation, his people. And that's why it's appropriate for us to talk about this psalm as we come together around the table of the Lord's Supper. To remember what God has done for us in Christ. Jesus says, every time you do this, remember me. Remember what I've done. And this table is not just about remembering. It is so much deeper There's so much more going on as we eat the bread and drink the cup. But one of the things that is definitely going on is remembering that God is good and God loves us and nothing we do could ever change that. Someone once said that God's love is like the sun. The sun only shines That's all it does. It shines. And God only loves. 
And we can hide from the sun. We can bury ourselves in the deep, dark recesses of a windowless room. But it doesn't change the fact that the sun's still shining outside. And we can run from God. We can reject God. We can turn our backs on God. It does not change the truth that his love endures forever. For you and for me. Whatever we've done, whatever we've left undone, his love endures forever, period. And that's why we come to this table and we give thanks. This morning, I want us to take just a moment to to ponder to some of the ways in which we give thanks to God. Some of the ways in which we might express our gratitude to God. And then following that, we are going to pray what in, in some maybe perhaps more formal churches, the great thanksgiving, that just reminds us of who God is and what God has done and all of the reasons we have for giving thanks. Let's take just a moment to ponder our God who deserves our gratitude. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, creator, sovereign of the universe. You made us in your image, and though we all have sinned and fall short of your glory, you love the world so much. You gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and won for you a new people by water and the Spirit. He suffered and died for the sins of the world. And you raised him from the dead that we too might have new life. He ascended to be with you in glory and according to his promise is with us Always. In remembrance of all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we ask you to accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, which we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a living and holy surrender of ourselves. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ, be one body in him, cleansed by his blood, that we may faithfully serve him in the world and look forward to his coming in final victory. Through him, 
with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. It means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. We... We have uh, trays and cups in the back. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. I, I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, recognizing what God has done for you, and with the desire to know Him more, come. Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.